today is week two of Advent, and uh, some of you will understand a little bit about Advent. Maybe your religious background has provided for you a context to talk about Advent, but others of you have never even heard of this notion of Advent. What Advent is, Advent is the beginning of a, a season for Christians where we, not just as the local church, but in the global church, begin to anticipate the second coming of the Lord Jesus. Really, in Advent, what we do is we begin asking this question. Will this be the year the Lord Jesus returns? As a part of the Advent celebration, uh, we, we celebrate his first arrival in Christmas. And on Christmas Day, I know all of you have traditions of some sort, and you're excited and looking forward to it, but certainly we want to be sure that we're thinking carefully about what it means that Jesus, God in the flesh, came. What does it mean, not only that he came 2,000 years ago, but that he will come again? And a tradition during Advent is this candle, and each Sunday you light one of the candles representing each day of Advent. So I'm going to light this, and as we open God's Word together. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of John, chapter 14. That's where we'll be this morning. And uh, Sarah did a really beautiful job of reading this passage, and and as John mentioned, today, as we think about Advent and the idea that Jesus came and will come, we want to consider this notion that Jesus gives peace. Jesus gives peace. This is not a terribly complicated concept to understand and in terms of the idea, but to experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ is a much sought-after type of life. And it can be hard to focus on the real reason for the season. Uh, if your holidays are like most people's, they're, they're busy, they're chaotic, and oftentimes you're doing things that you would enjoy doing, right? You're spending time eating and celebrating with family and friends. You're going to parties and you're uh, buying things for people, receiving gifts from people. So in some ways it's ironic that it's a stressful time of year, but it is for everybody because, because not only do good things happen, but it also causes some stresses to bubble to the surface. If you have family issues, those bubble to the surface. Some of you have uh, recently lost people in your life, and this will be the first holiday where you'll be spending this holiday without that person, and that's very difficult. Uh, each of the last two years in my family, uh, we have buried people that, we buried the matriarch and patriarch of our family, and, and so each of the last two years during the holidays are really an emotional time. This is the first Christmas for my own family that we won't have them, we won't have the offering during the meal, you know, things like that. And, and so it can be a difficult time, and so I just want to make a fairly simple um, statement on, with three ideas on how you can experience the peace of Jesus as believers in Jesus Christ during the holidays. Okay, just to start, I want to kind of state them, and then in the end, I'm going to conclude with this same idea. First of all, you want to read and pray weekly. You want to focus on the scriptures. Then you want to spend reasonably. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. And you want to give 
generously. So these are just three things that I want to put in your mind as we begin talking about this notion that Jesus gives peace. I pray in this moment and have prayed that our love for God would increase as we experience this passage where Jesus says he gives peace. And don't you know that peace is desired throughout our world? Even when nations war, most of the time they're warring, believing that if they were to win that war, there would be peace. The strife between political parties, oftentimes because both of them believe that their way would lead to peace and prosperity and ease of life. Religions oftentimes do things in the name of peace, whether or not it causes peace. And then there's on the more immediate kind of temporary level, uh, we see things that disrupt peace, like uh, like shopping, right? Black Friday shopping. Have you all heard some of those stories of things that happened? Some lady wants to get a camera, but another person is coming, so she takes pepper spray and sprays her, which is, to me, pretty legit, right? I mean, like, that seems fair enough, uh, but for some reason she was arrested. Um, I heard another story about a, a woman who was trying to get something and, and, and got mad at a person and went to swing, and the person she was trying to swing at moved, and she ended up hitting this woman's child, and and so she there got a butt whooping after that. So, um, you know, we, 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 we get stressed during this time of the year, maybe more than other. I mean, just even on the highway, some of you drive with your jobs often, and, and just even rushing, going down the road and rush hour traffic can be very, very stressful. Uh, and you'd like to think that you could experience peace in your own home, but even sometimes that's disrupted. Uh, I read a story this week about a man by the, by the name of Jesse McDillon, no relation to our own Jesse. Um, in this Jesse man was was running from the police and he was running from the police because he was accused of committing a crime in Colorado so he's running from the police he finds himself in Topeka Kansas and so there's this couple in Topeka Kansas they're in their home watching TV just enjoying the peace of their own home right and so there they are this man bursts in and essentially kidnaps them in their own home and so while they're there he threatens them he has a knife they think he has a gun and he says to them I will pay you to hide me from the police. And so the, what do the people say? Well, okay, sure. Sure, we'll hide you. They're afraid that they're going to be murdered or whatever, or at least hurt. And so they hide him. Well, so there they are with him in their home. He's hiding from the police, and then he has this agreement with them that he's going to pay them whenever he gets, you know, can find some money to pay them to hide him. So they're hiding him. They feed him a lot of food. They're watching movies with him. He falls asleep. So they get up, and they walk out. They go to get the police. The police come. There's an altercation. The guy's shot, and uh, although he's not killed, he, of course, is arrested. So here he is in jail for two years. He's in jail. He files a lawsuit against the people in Topeka, Kansas, claiming that he had a contract with them. The contract was, I'll pay you money to hide me, and they didn't hide him. So he's suing them. Can you, can you believe this? This is the world we live in. And, and uh, of course, it's, I, mean, I can't imagine. Well, you never know sometimes. Um, you know, these people, all they were sitting in their home wanting peace, and that was disrupted by this man. And then two years later, their, their peace is disrupted even more because of this just totally crazy claim. We all seek 
peace. What we long for is peace in this life. Peace is a word we use oftentimes at Neartown Church. Our mission captures the notion of peace. We are inviting busy people to experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ. Well, it's important to understand, even prior to me teaching John chapter 14, that peace was disrupted a long time ago in the in the events that are captured in Genesis chapter 3. Let me just give you a quick summary of the narrative of the Bible. When in the beginning uh, God created the heavens and earth and everything in it, and he created it in an orderly way. There was no chaos. There was peace. He created man and a woman, and in, in this place, this pristine, beautiful place called the Garden of Eden, he said to them, I want for you to be fruitful and multiply, and I want for you to rule and reign over all of this creation. You are unique. You are special. There's only one thing you can't do because you're not ready for it. You cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, the story goes that they were tempted, and they fell to temptation. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and so they were judged by God. What entered into the world was something called sin that would forever disrupt peace, not only in our world, breaking the relationship between God and people and us and one another and us and creation, but it would break the relationship, the deep relationship that was described formerly by shalom or peace between God and man. This relationship is broken. And so this begins the events of the Old Testament, where throughout the Old Testament we see a promise again and again and again that one would come to restore peace. A Messiah would come to restore peace. Isaiah chapter 9 captures one of these instances, and, and it was read well ago by, uh, by, by uh, Sarah, and she says these in the words of the, the prophecy of Isaiah, it describes this one who would come as Messiah as the Prince of Peace, Isaiah chapter 9, 6 and 7. So Jesus gives peace. And when he came promising peace, it was significant. It was very significant that this man, this rabbi, respected man, who was doing things differently than anybody else, he spoke in a unique way. He gave, there was an authority with his words. He, he showed some power over natural things like, like the, the waters that were churning in the, in the lake when there was a storm or showed power over disease and sickness. So when he came in the midst of all of that power, he said, I bring peace. It was significant. There's three things we'll see in this passage. First of all, the peace of Jesus Christ is unique. Jesus gives peace according to his plan, not our plan. And our peace cost Jesus his life. Look there in John chapter 14, verse 27 to start. John 14, 27 says these words. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. This is a traditional word. Uh, shalom is that the way it would have been said. And Jonathan mentioned that in our world, oftentimes in other cultures, the way that they greet one another is related to this word of shalom, may peace be with you. And so Jesus is here, is, is beginning with a traditional greeting. It, it can also be used as a farewell. But, but the greeting alone, just as a word, has no real power. And any attempts 
by anybody to establish peace by mere words without some sort of supernatural effect or by earthly rule is impossible. It's impossible to establish peace by mere words or by some kind of government power. As an example of this, um, one of the first emperors of Rome, Augustus, there was something that he erected called the Altar of Augustan Peace, or, or the Arapasis. And this was an altar commemorating this age of peace that he thought he'd begun. They had been supreme as a military. There had been financial prosperity. And so he thought, well, this is the period that the prophets of the Old Testament, that we know the Old Testament spoke about, the age of peace. But it's kind of a joke because with all the power that he had, and even though they experienced prosperity financially during that period, there was a time where they no longer experienced that kind of peace. So the peace that they were experiencing was only temporary. The kind of peace that Jesus is saying he brings is eternal. He uses the words, my peace. He greets them with peace, and then he says the words, my peace. It's Jesus' way of saying that with me, there is a new way of living. There's a new way of life. There's a, and, and it relates to this notion of the kingdom of God. There is a king, where, and there is a kingdom, and those that are with Christ are at peace with the king in this kingdom. If you receive the peace of Jesus Christ, it is something that happens in you that's uniquely divine. We also see in verse 28 that Jesus gives peace according to the plan of God, not our plan. Now, we're going to stay here for a minute because this is really important. Look at verse 28. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. He's actually quoting himself here. If you had loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. He's quoting himself from earlier in the passage. Look there in John chapter 14. He says these words. Uh, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am with you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we go that way? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, this is significant. Because when they heard this, they didn't understand. They almost rejected the way that Jesus offered to have peace. They didn't understand and comprehend it. What we must realize is that rather than rejoicing in his departure, because his departure was a part of God's plan and it would usher in the Holy Spirit, bring the Holy Spirit, which provided a supernatural peace, the disciples questioned the plan of God for peace. Jesus knew that he must stick to the plan, and that's just the way God wanted it. And can you imagine this? I mean, these, these humans, limited, fallible, imperfect Humans questioning sovereign God's plan to make peace possible. I mean, he knows that this is really what's in them, what they desire, which is peace in the midst of the chaos. 
Let me just pause here. Do you, do you feel that? I mean, just be honest with your own lives. Do you feel the chaos that's around us? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is. And this is the way it's been since the beginning and the way it will always be. And certainly you hit seasons of your life where it feels a little more kind of peaceful or easygoing than, than normal. But in general, our, our world is not becoming a better, more orderly kind of a place. It's becoming more disorderly, more chaotic. I mean, it's just the reality that we live in. Any reasonable thinking person could see it and be honest about that. And so we must ask this question, how do we get peace? So what we do as human beings oftentimes is we try to get peace on our terms according to our plan. We set up our own systems for peace. We rely on our own intellect for peace. We rely on our governments. Now, this is not a statement against war. That's a whole other conversation. But, but we, we cannot rely on our government to provide the peace that only God himself can rely or, or provide through Jesus Christ. You know what we do oftentimes, and this is specifically for those of you that are here that do profess Jesus as Lord, is even though we, in our heads, know, okay, Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus says, I have to come to give peace, and peace with God and peace in our own life in the midst of the chaos comes only through Jesus Christ. Oftentimes what we do is we, we seek after peace in what's called idols. We, 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 we seek after peace in, in idols. And even as believers, we do this. And this will be something we have to repent of for the rest of our lives. And so if you're like here and you go, oh, that's me, don't feel alone. Every one of us have them. Uh, John Calvin uh, said these words, the heart is an idol factory. We're constantly uh, uh, making decisions that, that are building these little idols instead of Jesus. Let me just talk for a second about four categories of idols. And I want you to think about this. Because really, if you're seeking peace from these things, you have to identify this and, and repent of it. Or, or you'll never really experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ in the way that you could. Especially in the holidays. Four categories of idols. First of all, there is the power idol. I want you to think P-A-C-S. Power approval, comfort, security. So the power idol is the first one. Um, the power idol relates to control or position or influence or success or your exerted strength or the way you appear to other people. This is a common idol. The power idol says, I can overpower others around me. Or, or I deserve the power that I have. Or I can use my mind and, and my intellect to influence or control others. The power idol says, ultimately, I'm in control. I love it. Is this your idol? When we recognize that only Jesus can give peace, not this idol of power, we confess that God is glorious, so I don't have to produce results. I don't have to exert my strength over others or over my tasks. There's the power idol. There's also the approval idol. The approval idol is a common one. It relates to our relationships, 
our, our titles, our positions, our achievements. Maybe your achievement at work, achievement in sales, achievement in school. The uh, uh, approval idol has you only concerned with what social group you're around or what you look like. You're overly focused on your appearance. Now, now hear me. There's nothing wrong with caring about these things to a degree. But when you idolize these things, approval, you will not experience the kind of peace that Jesus talks about. You won't. Is the approval idol yours? Just longing for people to approve of you. Doing whatever you can to appear worthy of approval. When we apply the gospel to this idol, it's crushed. And we confess that God is gracious and I don't have to prove myself. And this is one of those, frankly, that you have to think a little bit about how you were affirmed as a young person. Because if you were in a home where good enough never was good enough with your parents, you never felt like you could receive approval for just being you, then your entire life, that's how you relate to God the Father. That's a reality. I deal with this one from time to time. Approval idol. How about a third one? The comfort idol. Do you idolize comfort? It relates to this idea of pleasure. And you can include in there sexual pleasure. Health. Freedom. Are you overly focused on um, what you have creating excesses in your life? Are you really determined to have the nicest house and the nicest car? So there's nothing wrong with having a nice house and a nice car if it's not an idol. And some of you can have nice house and nice car, and it won't be an idol. Others of you cannot. It will be an idol, which is maybe for some of you why you, you'll, never, you'll never be really, really wealthy. I, I tell God often, God, you can give me all the money you want. I promise I won't worship it. I don't know if that's true, so we'll see. Recreation. This is a common one in our world. People idolize recreation, the thrill of recreating. And so really, what gets first place in your life is recreation, even over your family, over, over church, over your relationship with the Lord. The comfort idol. You believe you're entitled to Comfort. So you idolize it. But when you apply the gospel to this, believing that only Jesus can give peace, not the comfort idol, you confess, God is good. I don't have to look anywhere else for comfort. And then, frankly, you'll get to enjoy whatever excesses you have in your life. Or you won't need them as bad. The fourth idol. So we have power, approval, comfort, security. The fourth idol is the security idol. This is a tough one to identify. This is the one where oftentimes we're the most dug in. We, we, we find security in our family. We idolize, we worship this notion that if our family is just stable and established, we will be okay. There'll be peace. And you keep pursuing it and keep 
fighting for it. Keep fighting for it. And there's nothing wrong with fighting for your family. But if you worship the notion of perfect family, you will forever be dissatisfied. We find security in our finances. It's like, just, if I could just get a little more, I could just get a little more, a little more. If I could just make sure my future is secure financially, then, then there will be peace. You know, that's the security idol. If I could just get a better job, a higher position. For others of you, it's protection. If I could just, just remove anything that could harm me from my life. If I could just live in an area where it's really, really safe and, and be totally, completely secure, then I'll just have peace. When we apply the gospel to this idol, we are able to confess that God is great. God is great. I don't, I don't have to be in control. I don't have to be established. I, my family, even when things are a little chaotic, it's okay. I can find peace in the midst of it because we do not place our confidence in power, approval, comfort, or security. We place it in Jesus as the giver of peace. And this is it's much easier to idolize these things than it is to idolize and worship Jesus, isn't it? It is. And so you regularly will have to go back and say, you know what? And I'm too caught up in, in trying to find peace with the stuff that I have. I'm too caught up in trying to find peace with, with uh, you know, the relationship that I'm in. I'm too caught up in trying to find peace in what other people say about me. You see, the plan of God for the world is that Jesus will give peace, period. Third little notion we see here in verse 29 through 31, is that our peace cost Jesus his life. Now, it's difficult to talk about the coming of the Lord Jesus in his, in his birth 2,000 years ago and recognizing that he's going to come again without talking about the crescendo event of his life, which was the cross. And in verse 29, he hasn't yet gone to the cross, and he's telling them that he's about to. Look at verse 29. And now I have told you before, it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you. In other words, it's getting to the end. For the ruler of this world is coming, the devil. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I, the Father, I, that I love the Father. It's interesting because he's saying, guys, it's, it's time. I'm about to go to the cross and the reason I'm going to the cross is not because it's the devil's plan, but it's because it's God's plan. And here's the thing, guys. I'm going to do it because I love the Father. I'm going to submit to the plan of God the Father for peace because I love him. It's pretty incredible if you think about it. Jesus gives peace. Do you experience peace? In the midst of whatever's going on in your life, are you without a job? Can you experience peace in the midst of that? Is there family trouble? Are you stressed financially? Can you, in the midst of it all, experience peace? Yes. Is it by looking towards things that are idols, like power, approval, comfort, security? No. That's not God's plan. That's the enemy's false, weak, sorry substitute for peace. Instead, you must 
confess to God, God, I need your peace. I need Jesus, your spirit, to sink deeply into my life so I can walk closely with you, experiencing the peace of life with Jesus Christ in the midst of whatever's going on. See, some of you all are in difficult seasons, and you might come up out of it where you feel like things are getting a little better. Well, you know what? The way life is, something tough's going to happen again. Others of you are here, and you're like, man, things are going good right now. And I, I hate to break it to you, but the way life is, something, something difficult will come your way. And I, I pray that none of you would experience difficulty. But the reality is you, you probably will. Where will you look during the stress, during the chaos? Will you look to Jesus? What does it look like for you to have a relationship with God Almighty through Jesus Christ? For some of you, it means crushing or asking God to crush the idols, which are really sorry substitutes for peace. If you're here and you've never confessed that Jesus is Lord, do you know that God sent Jesus to die on a cross for your sins so that you could have peace? This is the good news of the Bible. It's the gospel. And it can be complicated at times if there are many questions that will need answering. But the simple truth of the matter is, is that you will not experience peace in any other place than Jesus Christ. How do you do it? Ask God to forgive you of your sin, recognizing that your sin separates you from God. And what the Bible says is that God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from your unrighteousness, the very thing that separates you from God's peace. You can be at peace with the king in his kingdom. Do you believe that? I want to, just in closing, give you four practical ways that you can experience peace as a believer in Jesus Christ during the holidays. First of all, you ought to be reading the Bible and praying weekly. Put yourself in a position. Get your posture over God's word uh, in such a way that it makes it possible for God to supernaturally work on your heart and life through his word. I sent out some scripture this week to those of you that are mission partners that relate to our four Advent sermons on um, that help us get ready. You ought to read and meditate on those four scriptures that were sent out. If you need some help finding passages of scripture, what I would do this week is go home and, and read John chapter 14 Every day, just read it and meditate on it and think about it. Think about what God will have. Just spend time. You will experience peace in that way. We ought also, oh, by the way, and you have to do as a family. One thing that I'm trying to figure out as uh, a dad with young children, and we're still beginning new family traditions, is what does it look like to, to lead my family to experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ during the holidays? And so my wife and I try to sit down on Sunday nights at least once a week and read the scriptures together. But now, and we, I do devotionals with my kids, but something that would mark Christmas time as extra special. Extra special. Because Christmas, as you know, is not about a big fat guy with a beard bringing presents. It's about God coming in the flesh, providing peace for people just like you and me. So you must make that time. You must make the time. And do it early in the week, I would suggest. Second thing that you ought to do is spend wisely. And I do mean money. Uh, one of my uh, 
guys, one of my coaches and mentors and I were talking this week about this, and I was trying to just kind of wrap my mind around the idea of leading you as a church to think about how to spend your money wisely in the holidays. And he had some really good things to say, and I'll pass them along to you. You know, whenever we spend money on people for the holidays, it shows them, it's a demonstration of our love for them. It's a really wonderful thing, so I think it's completely okay to do it. There is a point at which giving somebody some gifts emphasizes the material things, and it's impossible for them to understand that the season is not about them. You see what I'm saying? Their birthday is about them. Christmas is about Jesus. And I am all for you buying me presents. No, I'm all for you, you, you getting presents and celebrating and demonstrating your love as a family. Do that. But just think carefully to yourself. Okay, in my home, to my spouse, to my children, to my family members, to my friends, at what point does giving them a present make them feel like this holiday is about them and not Jesus? And it won't be determined, if you have children, it shouldn't be determined by your children what they really, really want. You know what? Because they don't, they don't really, really, really want the holiday to be about Jesus at this point. They want it to be about them. So just think about spending your money wisely and spending in a way that says, hey, you're special to me, you know, but you know what? We're going we're gonna to recognize as a family or as friends that this holiday is not about us, it's about Jesus. Which I think... Um, it also includes how you spend your time. Spend your time wisely. I mentioned this earlier, but it's ironic that during the holidays, we're the most stressed out when oftentimes we're doing the things we most enjoy. You're spending time with family and friends and you're eating. That's enjoyable, right? Um, and you, you're get, probably going to get some time off for the holidays. You get some vacation time. It's, but we, we get the most stressed out. It's the most chaotic. It's Spend your time wisely. Sit down as a, as a family and say, okay, this week, this is what we have going on, and we'll say no to this, and we'll say yes to this. I mean, we're in a season. We, you know, I've, we're rushing to a wedding this afternoon. I'm preaching a wedding, and we've got a lot going on with parties, and people have needs, and they want to meet, and all this kind of stuff, which is really wonderful. But we've had to say, okay, how are we going to spend our time in such a way that we can experience the peace of life with Jesus? You don't want Jesus going, hello, I'm over here, and you're like, you know, doing your own things like, hello, hello, hello. You know what I mean? So spend wisely your money and your time. The fourth thing I would say is this. Give generously. What a wonderful season to be generous in your giving toward things that are at the very center of God's heart. What's at the center of God's heart? People that don't know Jesus come and know Jesus. That's what's at the center of God's heart. It's why some of the last words of Jesus are captured in the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. So I want to encourage you to be generous. We as a church are going to practice one of our four stated values, which is radical generosity this season. This is the first Christmas season for us as a church, and so I'm excited to see what God will do. But we're going to be radically generous. We're going to take up a special Christmas offering. And I'm asking all of you to participate. And what we're going to do with this Christmas offering is we're going to be radically generous. We're going to give 100% of it away. So in addition to what you normally give as an act of obedience to God, being generous with your tithe and offering, we're going to take up a special offering, and we're going to give 100% of it away. We're going to be radically generous. 
There's a team of people called the generosity team. We met this morning and we've talked several times. I've gotten feedback from you. Where should we be radically generous? This is really fun, right? Where can we as a church be radically generous towards something that is at the very heart of God? So we said, well, let's just stick with our, with our own church strategy. If you'll pick up the little flyer that's on your, that's on your uh, chair, our strategy, stated strategy is right here. Very simple. Connect to God, connect to others, restore locally, restore globally. So when we think about doing something outside the walls, being radically generous, we think about what it looks like to restore locally, restore globally. So 100% of what we receive in the Christmas offering is going to be given away to restore locally, restore globally. Here are some ideas that we're thinking about, and I'm open to your feedback. Restore locally. There are some needs in our community with families that don't have uh, just any resources during the holidays. So I've gone to several of the families in here. I go to Poe. Poe is right in the near town area. I've gone to the principal of Poe, and I said, give me a list of a couple dozen families that have needs. We as a church want to help meet those needs. And so what we're going to do, we're going to receive this Christmas offering, and we're going to figure out a way to bless these families. It might include you as a family getting to take to them uh, some, some gifts or a meal or something like that, which would be really beautiful. We're also uh, looking for other opportunities in the near town area where we can restore locally. And so there are a number of you that live in the area, and so if you know of one, um, please make us aware of it because we really want to be radically generous to people. We're also going to be restoring globally. As you know, we have adopted an unreached people group, and we're in contact with our mission partners over there, and we're asking them this question. What is a great need that you have so that we can be generous to you. And we're going to get to see God uh, use the generosity of our people to bless them. We did this already one time with them. We bought them a, um, a, a basically a big tub that captures water so these people can take showers. And I think some of it's maybe even for them. They can drink it. And just think really it's something simple that costs a lot of money for them and frankly is impossible for them to buy on their own. We're going to get to, going to, get to provide things like fresh water and medical supplies to people on the other side of the world that cannot, I mean, they're just broke. I mean, really have no money at all. This is the kind of generosity we get to practice. Also, we're going to take some of the generosity and we're going to, we're going to find in, the, in and around the near town area some other church plants, some other new churches. Now imagine this. We're a church not even a year old. We care about what God does in this area. We're not just about ourselves. I refuse to lead a church that's all about us, me, 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 and our stuff. We're saying we're going to take up a Christmas offering. We're going to give 100% of it away. Some of it is going to go to other guys that are doing what we're doing in the near town area. We're going to say to them, hey, we're with you. We're, we recognize that God is doing something in the area. Let's link arms together. Be blessed by this and use it for God's glory. This is the kind of church that near town church will be. So these decisions are being made by the uh, generosity team, and if you've got any more input on that, please, please, please let me know. I believe God wants to surprise us as we say to him, God, can we experience your peace? I believe he wants to do something in our hearts. Would you bow your head?